there's a saying I love. It's okay to be number two. Everybody wants to be number one, right? But if you're number two, like Gary Keller, the founder of the company, he's number one in the real estate space I'm in. And he's going to be worth like probably five to 10 billion by the time he dies. It's not bad to be number two to a guy worth five or 10 billion, you know? Welcome to Investing in the U.S., an Aussie's Guide to U.S. Real Estate, a podcast for international investors and real estate entrepreneurs looking to break into the U.S. market. G'day, g'day, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another cracking edition of Investing in the U.S. podcast. From Los Angeles, I'm your host, Reed Goosens. Good as always to have you with us on the show. Now, as you know, it's my job to explore, dissect, and interview the cream of the crop when it comes to real estate investing, business investing, and entrepreneurship here in the United States, so you can all make the right investing decision to create massive amounts of cash flow, which will lead to financial freedom and long-term wealth. As you know, I'm all about sharing the knowledge with my loyal listeners, and there's absolutely no BS on this show, straight into the nuts and bolts. But knowledge without action means you're just a fence at it. So be educated first and foremost, listen to my show, but also you've got to go down and take massive amounts of action, and hopefully today's cracking guest will inspire you to do so. You can give us a review on iTunes, and you can follow me on SoundCloud, uh, sorry, on Facebook and Twitter by searching at Reed Goosens. All right, enough out of me. Let's get cracking and into today's show. Today on the show, I have the pleasure of speaking with David Osborne. David has over 25 years experience in family office investments, real estate investments, and private equity. David founded and built the sixth largest residential real estate brokerage firm in the United States, selling over 35,000 with over $9 billion in sales in 2016. He's an operating principal and investor in five Keller Williams regions and 14 market centers. He owns over 20 real estate-related ventures. He is also the principal of an REI private equity group, which has purchased over $100 million in distressed real estate assets. And to top it all off, he is the operator of over 35 non-profitable related businesses here in the United States and in Canada. On the side, he also finds time to be the co-founder of GoBundance, which is an accountability-based group of entrepreneurs, and he sits on the board of One Life fully lived nonprofit. I'm pretty exhausted just getting through that introduction. A truly incredible resume, a truly incredible man, but enough out of me. Let's get him out here. G'day, David. Welcome to the show. How are you doing today, mate? Excellent, Reed. Good to be with you, my friend. My poor mate. I love the fact that I've just been through a huge resume. Um, but before we dive into that resume, I want to rewind the clock just slightly a little bit. I'm going to go all the way back to when you're a kid. How did you make your first dollar? So my uncle uh, grew up on a farm and my uncle gave me a job, um, you know, he gave me odd jobs around the farm. That was when I was probably 12 years old and wasn't much money, but 10 P I was in England. My mom's a Brit. I was, my dad was military based over there and, and we were the poor offshoot of a wealthy family. And so my mom uh, lived on this, uh, my great uncle's farm and, you know, I would go collect the, collect the eggs or bale hay or, uh, you know, pick up the hay bales and. All kinds of little things. So that was fun. It was a good experience. I used to hunt. I used to go shoot rabbits and sell the rabbit meat to my grandmother who bred cats. <laughs> um, I grew up in a pretty, you know, like the world used to be. And I, I, it's sad sometimes more people don't get that experience. But at the same time as having that, you know, agricultural or the farmer background, I also went to a, a private school and my dad was a, a diplomat. So I had the military, you know, cocktail party. So I really had the broad sense of both worlds. I got that independence from living on a farm 
but also the culture of sort of my dad used to make me walk around serving all these guys and girls like drinks and carrying a little platter around and I had to serve early. So he didn't pay me. However, my <laughs> uncle was my favorite because he paid me. So you, you grew up in England. Is that right? Well, Germany till I was six, England till I was 13. Yeah. So okay. I didn't get to America till I was 14. I actually had a British accent sort of, but I'd had an American accent. Then I became sort of British and it went back to American pretty fast. Got it. Um, so yeah, I was raised overseas in, uh, Surrey, England. Surrey, England. I know it very, very well. Lived in London for a couple of years. So, uh, played rugby against Surrey. So, uh, <laughs> wow. Nice. My brother's a big rugby guy still. He got the, he got younger, you know, older than me. He got it hooked. So he actually runs the Austin rugby club here in Which in one? Texas. The Huns or the Blacks? Well, he, he owns the Huns. The Huns was the name it was, but now they've gone professional. So the Huns just won the national championship. Ah, Did you know right. that last year? Yep. Yep. So if you ever come to Austin, you should check it out. He owns a field and, they're taking it. They've now joined a league. I think it's now going to be called Exceptional Rugby, Austin AE Rugby, or something like that, because well, the Hunts are still a nonprofit. Well, uh, just to let you know, I've I've competed in the last three bloodbath rugby seven tournaments in Austin, so uh, I've been. Oh I've, my gosh! <laughs> well, you know Richard Osborne, my brother. You should I, look I, him up. Yeah, I, I should have looked him up. I didn't have any. Now we know, <laughs> right? Next, yeah. I'm, I'm going to go. I'll be there next year for to play it. Um, I play with the New York Rugby Club because a lot of the boys. Uh, uh, in the New York club from Austin. So I um, went to YouTube. Oh, how about that? Yeah, man. So it's amazing. Um, uh, but look, I want to get into so much of, of what you have achieved in such you know incredible career. And I don't even know where to start, but I, I guess let's start, you know, just you've made your first dollar. You had that experience with your dad working on the farm. Let's, let's now walk through the process of, of, of where you are today. How'd you get involved in real estate? You obviously have a massive background with Keller Williams and, you know, $9 billion in sales. That's huge. So, you know, like yeah. that's, it's, it's absolutely mind blowing what you've achieved. So well done. So I, I mean, well, thank you. And uh, that, that resume is embarrassingly long because, uh, like I said, I'm kind of a, I was not a great student in school and, you know, I was always just good at working, man. I like to work. I, I wasn't even a great athlete. I was just an average athlete. I wish I could say I was better. Um, wasn't the smallest kid, but I wasn't the biggest kid. I was just always kind of average at everything, but it used to kind of tick me off that I was that way. And I always felt like I should be better, but I really wasn't. But I think that little fire inside, I just kept that burning my whole life. And that's really why, like I bloomed late in life. Like I really didn't find my stride till my thirties, but because, because, but I guess because I had so much momentum behind it, I've just kept going. I'm still doing a lot of stuff to this day. I, in fact, uh, so, uh, in answer to your question, I, I got, I started my own lawn mowing business when I was in high school and then I went on into door-to-door -door sales, direct sales, and kind of went from one thing to another and then my mom joined real estate. My dad retired from the military and my mom got into real estate when I was 14 and I really never saw her again. She went, she became a realtor and she would go to work at 5.30 and leave at 10. She became the top realtor, 10 p.m. that is, not 5.30 to 10 in the morning. And she would became the top realtor in this startup company called Keller Williams. She was like agent number five. Today, there's 170,000 Keller Williams agents. So I joined her a few years later, like, uh, let's see, that would have been when I was 14. So when I was about 25, so maybe 10, 10, 10 years later, maybe 12 years later. And uh, I got in it and I sold real estate for three years, did really well. But after about the third year, I was like, man, this, there's got to be more to life than this. Well, it just so happened that Keller Williams was expanding. They were looking for people to go open offices. At that time, we probably were maybe a few thousand people. And so I just put my hand up and said, hey, I want to do some more. And I got sent off to Dallas. And, and really, the success I've had in real estate has been more a factor of me putting my head down and driving really hard, looking for more, being aggressive. But I can't say, you know there's a saying I love. It's okay to be number two. Everybody wants to be number one, right? But if you're number two, like Gary Keller, the founder of the company, 
he's number one in the real estate space I'm in. And he's going to be worth like probably five to 10 billion by the time he dies. It's not bad to be number two to a guy worth five or 10 billion, you know? <laughs> right. Um, I've got, you know, I've got a, a airplane I used to fly around in, but it's just a twin prop, right? So it's a King Air. The guys I know have like, you know, some guys I know have jets, but it's not bad to have a twin prop. Let right. me tell you, I may be number two to those guys, but it's not bad. There's, you know, so being number two isn't the worst thing in the world. Of course, we all would like to pound our chest and be the number one dog, but it's it's really just fine to do really, really well and follow a star. And I think I've made a career of that. I've always looked for the smartest guys that I could sort of be around and 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 honor and cherish those guys, just like that kid serving drinks to the to the ambassadors, you know, of the other countries. If I find a guy I think I can learn from, man, I'm going to send him books. I'm going to pay attention to him. I'm going to try to be of service to those people. And, and I found that always works if you find the right guys because they appreciate you. I'm not being a total suck up and a total brown noser. What I'm saying is I respect you. I honor you. I know your time is valuable. And if you're going to teach me something, I'm going to buy you a bottle of wine or I'm going to send you a, a handwritten card after we met. And then I tend to reach out to successful people and say, hey, what would it take for you to, you know, what would I have to do to earn lunch with you? So I would email, you know, technically a guy like, say, Michael Bloomberg or Warren Buffett and I would say in my email, hey, what would it take for me to earn the right to have a coffee with you just to sit down for 15 or 20 minutes? And some guys blow you off, but some guys give you that time. And my experience is when you're around guys that are up to big things, it becomes almost second nature for you to be up to big things. So that's, you know, I've kind of clawed my way up by uh, just always finding another role model and another example to emulate as I as I get better at everything I do. That's awesome, man. I Again, there's so many questions that I have for you, and we're going to get more into it. But what I want to do ask you is is a bit of a doozy question. But what's what makes you tick every single yeah. day? You know, what what what's the thing that gets you the juices going for you nowadays since you've achieved all this success? You know, for me, it's change. Like I love change. I love to embrace change. I love to see people change. I love to supersede my limits to expand beyond my limits. And the reason I love it is because it's so damn hard, you know, because I hate it so much. Like I hate change. So I'm going to it's uh, <laughs> it's like so easy to get stuck in a rut. And sure. for me, um, I think possibly goes all the way back to being that kid that never got the validation I sought. You know, like I couldn't be a star athlete. I, I was not the smartest kid in my class. Uh, just being this whole bunch of average and inside I was like, well, wait a second. I'm not average. There's more to it. And finally, in business, I found a place where. I had just enough work ethic and just enough brains that if I put the two together and I worked smart on, on and hard, I was able to leverage into a certain amount of success. And then it becomes this like, you know, and I wrote a book about it, but it, it becomes this, um, you know, you've heard, we've all heard of about the negative cycles. What's that called? The vicious cycle. But there's yep. also an abundance cycle when you start getting things going right and it gets better. And then I can give away money and I give away money and I get to help people have clean water in Africa. And then I meet the guy that runs the charity. And because I give a large amount of money, he gives me time. And I get connected with a guy that's up to amazing stuff that's brought clean water to like a million people and, or maybe 5 million people now. And then all of this, like, ties into me working harder because then I get to meet more interesting people and I get to take care of my family better and we get to go on amazing vacations. So it's become sort of a, instead of a, a vicious cycle, a, a, an abundant cycle or a prosperous cycle. And I think it's, it's it, that stone, it was hard to get it rolling in the right direction. If I think back to the confusion I had in my 20s and then in my 30s trying to get the right action because I was, I'd get lost or I'd get overwhelmed or I'd try to do too many different things. And then I started nailing it in my late 30s and then my 40s has just been like, you know, there's still challenges, there's still problems, but because I figured out how to think and how to approach problems, everything kind of gets easier. Does that make sense? So then you get this, this cycle of positivity that just rolls through your life. So what makes me tick, I think ultimately is that little kid that just didn't get enough respect and wanted to prove himself. 
but now that I've transformed that into just a very positive, habitual way of life. That's incredible. And I think the fact that you've been able to, to achieve the level of success that you have to then go on and do more, right? Maybe outside of real estate, give, give kids water in Africa, you know, be an influencer in your sphere by using the platform that you created. I think that's really a really, really good pat on the back and, and, and something you, you be, you've created something bigger than just you becoming financially free or, or you creating, you know, a business in Keller Williams. So I think, I think it's really, really important. Well, there's an important thing in that read, which you just said is like, I reached a certain pinnacle of success and I felt like I had a choice. I could stop and pat myself on the back and sure. go play golf or, or I could choose to find something else to challenge myself. And what I find is it's not the arrival that makes you excited. It's the becoming. So mm -hmm. it's, can you become more? Can you figure out a better way to do it? Can, in spite of all your limitations and goodness knows I've got plenty of them, but can I, with all those limitations, still figure out a way to expand? Because I think in life, you're either expanding or contracting. There's no middle ground. If I could stop in, you know, right now for the rest of time, I'd stop. I mean, I got great income. I got a loving family and I've got good health. So if I could stop right now, I could, but I really can't. I have a choice. I'm either going to expand my knowledge, wisdom, and ability to perform, or I'm going to contract because I don't use it, you know, it's either rusts away or it gets stronger. And at some point, inevitably, we all yield to rust. I mean, that's just right. the inevitable end <laughs> for all of us. But right now I'm fully participating in, in expansion because I think that's where the life is. And if you are into something all the time that's interesting and new to you right now, we're doing a private equity launch for single family homes and we're trying to raise our first hundred million. We expect to be able to take that up to a billion through a company called Magnify Capital. And if I keep doing that, then ultimately um, I'm growing, I'm challenged, I'm learning new things, I'm meeting with billionaires trying to discuss whether or not they should invest in my fund. And all of that scares me a little bit, but it keeps me alive. And right. if I just go back and play golf and everyone tells me how great I am because I've achieved so much success, it feels good in a way, but it's kind of empty. So yeah. I'm just choosing that growth, that that edge of fear all the time. I'm trying to find that edge. Nice, 100%. Look, one of the biggest things I, I thought when I read your introduction, one thing came to my mind, but it was just jumped out off the page to me, and that was business ecosystems. You have been very successful in creating ecosystems around individual businesses, whether it be investing, whether it be the Keller Williams brand, um, and and also just to mention, we didn't. I don't know what you you have started, but you know over twenty five companies, thirty five companies across the United States and the Canada, all related to real estate. So, do you want to talk a little bit about the power of creating those ecosystems to maybe complement other businesses within the, the the umbrella that is David Osborne? Yeah, I think it's important that you drill deep in anything you go into. So if you're going to be a doctor, be the best doctor. If you're, you know, even though I would say if you're a doctor, you should probably try to figure out how to design and sell medical devices. You're still <laughs> in the medical field. Like you want to, you want to, you want to become the best you can in your space. And then you want to build a great network of people around you. And, and what you said is so true. Like the debt business I've, I've built, which has probably been where I made my second fortune because like everyone else, I was terrified in 08 and then in 09, I was still scared, but I was seated. I saw that my declining revenues were bottoming out and I was still making money. So I was like, maybe I'm going to be okay. And then late 09, 10, I was like, wow, look around me. Like everything's been devastated and the prices are incredibly low. This has got to be a buying opportunity. And then in, in a 10 and 11, in 11, I got into distressed debt, which is really a real estate play. But it's so all of it is in the same place. So that second fortune that was built because of the downturn where I started buying real estate and distressed debt on real estate, I wouldn't be able to do that if I didn't have such a broad knowledge of real estate. And because I have a high level of success in real estate, once you succeed at something, you start meeting the other people succeeding in the same field. Mm -hmm. So when I was looking at a piece of distressed debt in, say, you know, Maryland, I could call my guy in Maryland who's the number one agent in Maryland and they say, hey, what do you think of Mar you know, this area? 
and they would tell me the area and then they would say, oh, you should call this guy Reed. Reed's the number one agent in the area. So I'd call them and I'd get this inside information on all the assets I was purchasing that I doubt the hedge funds even had access to. And so all of that ties into that first thing of choosing your field that you like. And people always say, oh, find your passion. But I think that's partially true and partially BS. You have to like what you do, but there's going to be days you hate it no matter what it is. You just got to choose that field and just get after it as well as you can and be the best you can in it. And then once you become very, very good, you'll tend to have a better peer network around you. So so everything I've done has been in that real estate space pretty much. And even the private equity fund we're creating today, which we hope eventually to get to a billion under management, which I think is reasonable, um, it's still real estate. It's, you know, we've got we've just gone out of Texas. We've gone nationwide. Um, but I still have that ability to make a phone call and find the guy that can that can give me the inside information on almost anything in real estate, almost anywhere. Do you think that that insider track came from the Keller Williams connections and your, your time at being a, being a broker? Yeah, it came from me being the sixth largest real estate right. company in the US, but yep. also from being out there and hustling, being willing to be on your show, being willing to meet your partner when he asked me to go play golf. Just right. You just put yourself out there constantly. I go to seminars all the time and sometimes I'm tired. I'm like, oh, why am I doing another seminar? And then I go there and I meet Sam Zell. Like I met him up in, uh, um, in Florida at a deal I went at and I got to know him. I got his private email. I haven't used it yet. Or Thomas Brock Jr. who runs, you know, uh, Invitation Homes. He's a billionaire out of uh, L.A. And I got his personal email. It was really nice to him. Sent him a book. And, you know, I don't necessarily do something with that. But if I ever needed to, I would. So, yes, it's being successful, but then consciously being of service to anyone that comes along and also picking, you know, like a laser beam. The guy's like, I'm, I'm still thinking, like, how could I approach Thomas Brock? Like, what would be a good reason for me to reach out and have coffee with him other than just my old stick, which was, hey, I want to. But I usually do that with people in town. So my old email, of what do I have to do to earn lunch with you? I'm trying to find mentors. And to do that, I I, uh, I keep that in town because I can't really have a relationship with a guy in L.A. because I'm not there often enough. So I'd have to find a, a better reason. So it's awareness. I mean, it ties back to success, self-development and awareness. One of my favorite quotes that I've learned is awareness, self-management leads to influence. So your awareness might be, I'm not very good at, at say, you know, leading people. So your self-management is, okay, I'm going to read these books and learn how to lead people and pay attention and do the best I can and practice it. And then once you've developed that through self-management, then you become an influencer because people realize you've taken that journey of learning how to lead people and they want you to help them do it too, right? So it's, it's, and aware, that could be anything like awareness. I'm eating too much junk food. Awareness. I'm not saving enough money. Awareness. I'm not paying enough time to my kids. Awareness is where it all begins. Because once you're aware of something, you can change it. Hundred percent. Like, tell me, think of your business. That we walk into a restaurant. I pick up the menu. What's on the menu from the high level free stuff all the way through to stuff that's maybe not necessarily on the menu that you offer your clients or you offer services to people and walk us through that type of business that in, in, and going back to that ecosystem of, of the different ins and outs uh, of what okay. you do. So I like to make people money and I like to make me money. So in real estate, it was serving realtors and now that's mostly delegated out and leveraged out and Keller Williams done an amazing job of serving them too. So it's serving realtors to be the most successful people they can be. The second phase of my career was owning assets and managing those assets. So it's owning a bunch of real estate, um, which I've done personally and still have. And then the third phase has been to help people invest in real estate and, and help them win through real estate investments by creating funds that people are able to invest in. And so, you know, those are the three, you know, that what's free for me is knowledge and information. I've worked hard to be who I am. I've, I've, I've studied a lot. I've put a lot of time in. Just like your partner found out, he reached out and asked to go golf with me. I'll always say yes. Um, 
up to a point. Like if, right. but but sometimes to defer people, I'll say, well, go read my book first. And that, and by the way, he had and he you know spoke about it, or or go read Think and Grow Rich. And if I've got too much going on, I don't have time, then I'll just give people a challenge of going and read a couple books, and then reach out to me. And if they've done that, I'll I'll go have coffee with them. Right. So it's service. The knowledge that would be the freebies, and then the highest level is like my goal is to be a guy that people can come up to and say, "Hey, I want to give you fifty million bucks," and I'll say, "Okay, I'll find you a way to make ten to twelve percent for the next ten years on it." Right. And uh, and I've done that personally, so I I've got a track record that I can do it. Actually, I've done it better than that for my own track record, um, and and that's where I'm trying to lead to, and and then making all my team very successful and wealthy. Like every single person I meet that becomes wealthy excites me because I think. Each one of us inside has the potential to have a magnificent and, and amazing life. And if we live that and we find our way to it and it's no one gives it to you, it's not easy. Yes, there's some luck involved, but really it's paying attention, working hard and self-development. Then you can change a piece of the world. There's a lot of problems in the world. People are like, oh, what about North Korea? What about global warming? All these things. There's probably nothing you can do about North Korea. I very much doubt that anyone that worries about it is in a position to do anything about it. But what you can do is become the best you you can be and then pick something, whether it's water wells in Africa or drug addiction, or you can pick one little piece and make a difference there. And if every single one of us self-actualized, became pretty good at what we did in life and how we lived, and then we picked one little problem and fixed that or helped that, not even fixed it, like just made an influence, made a difference there – like what, what kind of a world would we live in? And, and so when I see people succeeding, that makes me really, really happy because I think that's what it makes the possibilities in life great is a lot of great people coming together to, to make great things happen. I think it goes back to your, your, your original thing about not just giving up and going and playing golf, right? So many yeah. people can just sit on their laurels, play golf, be retired at the age of 40 and great. But again, you're not pushing yourself. You're not making that change. You're not actively going out and fixing a problem. You're being, a, you know, you're being one of those people that sits on the, in the armchair and complains about something, complains about North Korea, complains about, you know, whatever it might be, the next looming financial crisis, <laughs> but not actually yeah. actively doing anything about it and just talking themselves into, well, I'm good where I'm at and I'm in my bubble and I'm never going to push myself ever again. So I think just from talking to you over the short little bit, bit of time, I can really see, feel the sense that you are constantly wanting to challenge yourself, so which is pretty incredible stuff for someone at your, your level of success. So, so well done. Well and I don't want to say I don't enjoy life. I believe also in taking great vacations, whether you're poor or rich. <laughs> I believe you should go see the Grand Canyon. You should take your kids on a drive to the lake nearby and camp on the lakeshore. I, I believe you should have adventures continuously and have a great quality of life. But I believe if you stop – and I, I also like to play golf, funnily enough. I'm just – but but if you stop the personal development, I think you start dying. And, right. and, and the guys I've seen that have retired, that have really retired and stopped – they seem to talk a little slower. They seem to kind of put on a little weight. They seem to just sort of be fading out a little bit. And I just think if you don't challenge yourself, you don't give the opportunity to grow. And when you talk about people like, you know, complaining about what's going on in the world, I just don't, I try to stay away from those conversations for sure. I can get into them, but it's like when I find myself talking about things I can't control or complaining about the neighbors or complaining about anything, I like in my head, a little awareness pops up. I'm like, okay, how long am I going to allow this to go on? Like, what would it take for me to get out of this conversation so that I can get back to building something or transforming something or being with my kid and playing a game or just because I find the complaining. Well, I get it because I can certainly complain with the best of them. It just doesn't really go anywhere. It doesn't serve me at all. So I'm trying to shut those channels in my brain down so I can have more channel for either being present to the ones I love or making a difference in the world, or in my personal world, if not somebody else's world. Also, just being an overall influencer in, in what you do. So, um, mate, look, I, I want to be conscious of your time, but I want to quickly wrap up the show with, you know, what's your outlook for 2017 and beyond, both personally and professionally? 
Uh, you know, I think, I think like everyone, we all think there's got to be a downturn coming there. There's such easy money out there. Um, but I think it doesn't really matter. I think if you keep plugging away and you act smart, I mean, my whole thing is about self-development, right? So ultimately if you could see how far I'd come from and like how lost I was as a kid. In fact, I bumped into one of my uncles and had lunch with him and he's, uh, uh, he's actually Australian funnily enough. <laughs> Or, you know, he's an Englishman that lives in Australia. And he said, David, you know, when I knew you, for, he only knew me from age six to 10. He said, I thought you'd probably be the least likely to succeed. And it made me really happy because it shows you like I was kind of this shy, not outgoing, kind of fearful kid. You know, fearful, but not that athletic, like I said, and uh, probably fearful. And so I've just worked on it and worked on it and worked on it. And if people keep working on it, work on it, work on it, it doesn't really matter what the future does. If you make smart decisions, I'm buying real estate still. I'm buying less than I was, but I'm still buying it. I'm trying to make sure I have equity in it, that I have positive cash flow, that I'm buying at value, meaning I'm finding, which is hard to do, but I'm at least five or 10% below what I think market is. And if you just keep taking right actions, then whatever happens in 17 or 18, you'll still be okay because you you were smart, you self-developed, you can rely on your leadership skills to get yourself out of any jam you get yourself into, but also you weren't greedy and overly aggressive. So you weren't buying 10 houses at 99% financing like a lot of people were back in the day, right. but you instead bought one house at 70, 30%, you know, 70% loan and 30% equity that had $200 a month in positive cash flow or whatever it is. And if you make a lot of those good decisions, you'll have ups and downs, but generally the theme will be up. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I think that's what you've got to ask yourself. Can I keep piloting my life in an upward direction for as long as possible? So if you do that, it doesn't matter what the future holds. Nice, man. Mate, I always like to end the show with uh, you give me your top five investing tips. You ready to dive into it? Yeah, let's do it. Mate, what is the daily habit you practice to keep on track towards your goals? journaling. I journal all the time and I review my goals all the time. I have them with me right here in my journal. I've got about 80 goals written in the back of it and I review it every quarter. It comes from the computer. I stick it in my journal. I check off what I've done and haven't done. And then every quarter I, I highlight what's complete and then I print it out and put it in my journal again. So I'll have it in my journal four times a year. Nice. Uh, were you always a journaler or did you develop that over time? I, my, I had an English roommate in college when I was 20 and he journaled like crazy. And so I picked up the habit from him and I fell on and off the bus and, you know, for a long time, but by now it's an established habit. So no, I picked it up later in life, not from a kid, but I'm trying to get my uh, eight year old to do it on a regular basis now. Nice. Nice. Mate, who is the most influential person in your career to date? Gary Keller, the founder of Keller Williams. He'll be a billionaire. He's a teacher and big time teacher and he just taught a lot and I was lucky enough to be around him before he was famous and before he had security and stuff and you know and uh, so I had a ton a ton of training from him and his intensity and relentless commitment to personal growth uh, bled into me I already had it but it bled into me even further he was a great teacher love it love it what is the most influential tool in your business having such a massive ecosystem of businesses you'd have to have one tool whether it be uh, tech or whether it be a phone or something that really helps the day to day uh, you may not like the answer, but it's people. Like for me, it's it's all about finding the greatest people to be in business with. The only way I can build the scale that I've had is because I have people that are better than me in many many of the roles in my life, and they'll tell you they're better than me. In <laughs> fact, they're like my partner in the in the real estate practice that runs it. He's my equal partner, but we do together nine or ten billion in sales. Uh, I think he does a way better job than I ever could. In my private equity firm, the guy that I got running that is a way better private equity guy than I'd ever be. And 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 the guy that runs my you know single family the debt business that I have is an MBA from MIT. I could never do what he does in debt. Uh, so for me, the number one tool is learning how to be in business with the best people possible, and then learning how to help them win through the economic model that we're creating together. 
love it. I love it, man. What has been the biggest failure in your career and what did you learn from that failure? Oh, man, I've had a lot of failure. Um, you know, picking the opposite of what I just said, I've picked the wrong people a few times and gone in too fast, too hard. That's the most common mistake I made. I've got something called the opportunity matrix in the book, Wealth Can't Wait. And, and uh, it always starts, the opportunity matrix, you look at the person, you look at the opportunity, but you look at the person first. And if it's the wrong person, you stop, no matter how great the opportunity is. Because a great person with an average opportunity will outperform a terrible person with a great opportunity every time. So all the mistakes I've made have been betting on the wrong people or being overly excited about something too quickly or a person too quickly and not doing my due diligence, not checking their references, not finding out whether other people speak well of them, whether they have the highest level of integrity or work ethic. There's a lot of very excitable people out there that actually can't perform at the level that they can transmit that they can. And you really want to have that awareness that I talked about to make sure is this guy legit the whole time. And I've fallen and been seduced a few times because I, I like opportunity and uh, not really done my due diligence. And so it's almost always fallen back on me, though. I could have looked a little harder, paid a little more attention. There's usually been warning signs, could have trusted my instincts a little more. And I've usually let things run on. The, my biggest losses have been from letting things run on too long with guys that really couldn't get the job done, whether through integrity or just through a lack of talent. Right. Interesting. Well, I think it's it's inc incredible to have a matrix that starts with the people at number one, right? And if it doesn't if it doesn't make any sense, don't uh, don't continue, mate. To wrap up the show, where can people reach you? Where can they find your books? All the great stuff that that is David Osborne. Yeah, davidosborne.com. I'm lucky enough to get the website. So I don't know if you can see yep. there's Wealth Can't Wait. That's the book. And uh, that's the best way to reach me is davidosborne.com. It's got a way to contact me there. Um, you can even email me through the, the website, davidosborne.com. And yeah, I hope you enjoy the book. And uh, it's been great being on your show, Reed. You do a great job of interviewing, man. Thank you so much, mate. Well, I just want to thank you for, for jumping uh, on the show, taking some time out of your day. I know you're a really, really busy man. Uh, just quickly summarize uh, our conversation today. I think the number one thing that I took out of it is okay to be number two, <laughs> right? Yeah. It's okay to be number two. It's always looking at people first and opportunity matrix, but also looking at different ways to create an eco-business systems. I, I, I get off on eco-business systems. I think it's so great to, it opens the world up and, and through your influence, you'll be able to open new doors and being that influencer, but it starts with the hard work, putting your head down, getting it done. Um, and I just really, really thank you for your time. So thanks a lot. You, have you should write a you should write a book about that ecosystems. I think that's smart. I hadn't heard that one quite like that before. Obviously, um, right. And I like it a lot. Yeah. No, yeah. it's 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 definitely something in in the in the works, and I'm sure I'll, I'll send you a copy when it does get to get up Excellent. and running. But mate, thanks a lot so much. Enjoy the rest of your week, and we'll catch up soon. Thanks, Reed. Pleasure Cheers. being on your show. Bye bye, Bye-bye, mate. Well, there you have it. Another great episode jam-packed with some awesome investing advice and actionable steps. As I said, there's some huge takeaway golden nuggets. So make sure you jump on davidosborne.com, get his book. I encourage everyone to go out and get his book today. He is a truly, truly influential man. I only had 30 minutes of his time. It was absolutely incredible. I really just want to thank David for, for coming on my show today. Uh, introduction through my business partner. It's funny that he's a small world, that his brother owns the uh, Austin Huns and now is a professional rugby uh, union out, outfit. I'll have to uh, hit him up when I'm next in Austin. But some of the big things that I took away from that show, as I said, was it's okay to be number two, um, but also you know, focus on, on, on trying to surround yourself with, the, with people who are the best in what they do, you know, uh, and, and then creating those business ecosystems to then go and leverage other people's abilities to create more ecosystems around you to then create more um, uh, more influence to then go and help and become essentially an influencer in a, in a way that may be above and beyond what you originally had set out to do. David had set out to do that he was, you know, 
going to be a broker. And then he became very successful at being a brokerage firm. Uh, he then went and you know, got into involved in real estate investing, became very successful in real estate investing. And then he went on to be, help other people to get involved in real estate investing and help them make great amounts of cash flow. Now he's gone on to do even more and help people in a way that maybe he would not ever have thought he was able to help them go to Africa, help the water program, um, and not just sit on, his, on, his, on the couch on his ass, sitting on his laurels, playing golf. He was actually consistently challenging himself. He's in his 40s and he's every single day I thought was really inspiring that he's consistently getting up and wanting to make uh, a difference in the world, whether it be through real estate investing, whether it be through brokerage or whether it be through philanthropy and, and, and connecting the dots to people to help make lives across the world a better place. So guys, as I've always said, you can find today's show in the show notes uh, and any links from today's show up on my website at readgoosens.com. Make sure you hit on the podcast tab. Thanks again for taking some time out of your day to tune in to continue to grow your real estate investing knowledge as that's what we're all about here on this show, continue to grow your financial IQ. So until next week, take care, be safe, and remember, happy investing.